It's 835, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It was a huge day for the state of Wisconsin yesterday. Lots of smiling faces. I think the person perhaps with the broadest smile at that press conference yesterday might have been the governor of the state of Wisconsin, Scott Walker. Governor, good morning. Hey, morning, Jeff. Yeah, I'm still smiling. No <laughs> doubt about it. And I think I'll be smiling for a good long time. And Thankfully, I think all of us in the state should be smiling. Republican, Democrat, doesn't matter. This is an amazing day for Wisconsin. Paul Ryan described the Foxconn announcement as a game changer. I assume you agree. Would you tell me why? Well, it's just transformational. Not only is this the biggest economic development project in Wisconsin history, one of the biggest in the history of the United States, the, literally the, the actual biggest Greenfield investment by a foreign-based company in American history is measured by jobs. But, but more important than that, part of the reason why we call it Wisconsin Valley is because it's not just the 13,000 jobs, which are directly tied to the $10 billion investment by Foxconn, not just the 10,000 construction jobs that it will take from people all across the state to build this, which is, a, we were talking about 20 million square feet of, of this campus. That, that's big enough to put 11 Lambeau Fields in it. And it's not just the 22,000 indirect and induced jobs that will come from it. To me, why this is so transformational, you create this Wisconsin Valley where you've got high-tech manufacturing innovation, this will draw people in from not only across the country but around the world. It will attract more talent to the state, which will help our other employers fill the workforce needs that they have. And it's just one more remarkable tool that I think will keep more of our graduates right here in the state of Wisconsin because they'll see the ecosystem that comes out of this and it'll be transformational. Governor, let, let's go behind the scenes a little bit. How, how did, when did you get involved? How did you get involved? What was kind of the process? Let's pull back the curtain. Yeah, no, great, great question, great insight. Uh, Terry Goh, the chairman of Foxconn, came and met with the president on April 27th. Uh, came because the president talked even during the campaign about the need to do more manufacturing of things like these LCD displays and for, for, for entertainment and healthcare and aviation, but, but also the things that you know, Foxconn's uh, the uh, producer and manufacturer of the, the, the components that fit into an iPhone as well as many other technologies. And the president said in the campaign, hey, this should be done in America. He followed up on that after he took office, made the connection. Terry Goh, the, the chairman of Foxconn, came in the very next morning. We were there in force. I was there along with Mark Hogan, our CEO, the Wisconsin Economic Development Cor- Corporation, excuse me, in the in the office of another fellow chief. Said we know Reince Priebus, chief of staff to the president. And from that day, uh, Terry and I headed off. Um, his team has been here multiple, multiple times with multiple numbers of people in all different parts of the state of Wisconsin. I flew overseas early in June um, on a, uh, a short. Uh, uh, turnaround to go see their technology. They're so proud of this 8K technology, which is part of the next 5G generation, uh, which is remarkable, unbelievable technology, not just for entertainment, but for healthcare, for automation in, in, uh, in uh, the automobile industry and aviation industry. And we've just gone back and forth, and finally a few weeks back, as, as you and other, WTMJ and others covered, uh, Terry and his team were, were back in the state. Uh, we met with GE Healthcare, saw the Bucks Arena, uh, went to Rockwell Automation, all areas of which they're interested in doing business with. And it was at that trip where we said, this is, this is going to work. And uh, we just, since it all started at the White House, we returned to the White House, obviously, yesterday to make that announcement. What do you think it was about Wisconsin 
as opposed to other states that, that lured this business here? It's a combination of things. You know, the perfect synergy part of it, just the people, you know, the connection with Ryan, the connection with Paul Ryan stepped up. Actually, the whole delegation, Republican and Democrat alike, stepped up. Every member from the House and the Senate, just tremendous support that they felt, tremendous support from Racine and Kenosha counties, from the M7, just a good team effort. I think they appreciated that. But I also think, you know, we're ready. Uh, it's something that, you know, we've, over the last six years, have taken on some pretty big reforms from massive tax cuts um, across the board for everyone, but particularly in the area of manufacturing, from right to work, uh, from regulatory reform, from reigning in frivolous lawsuits, from the major commitments we made to improving our workforce. All of those things together help build a better business climate. It's hard to imagine, but think about it. In 2010, we ranked in the bottom 10 states in the nation for business. This year, on that same list, Chief Executive Magazine's list, for the first time ever, we moved up into the top 10. And, and what Chief Executive Magazine and the CEOs across America have noticed, Terry Goh and his team saw. And, uh, again, it's just the perfect synergy of things coming together. We're ready. Wisconsin Valley. And the cool thing is this will be the first LCD plant in anywhere outside of Asia. So the first in America for sure, the first in North America, anywhere outside of Asia. This is the first of its kind, uh, this kind of high-technology uh, an innovation we're going to be involved in. And what I love is it's going to be made in America, and f- proudly we're going to be making it right here in the state of Wisconsin. Governor, um, some of your political opponents are already sort of acting as a wet blanket on this. One of the things they're saying is, well, there's going to have to be this incentive package, and that's nothing but corporate welfare. How do you respond to those allegations? Well, I, I love how the fact that Republicans and Democrats for Life have talked about for years about the need to create jobs. In this case, the biggest critique is not just what we're putting out there. And I, I laid it out, This I said it right in my opening comments, uh, 13,000 jobs, $10 billion investment by the company. In return, the state's going to put up $3 billion, biggest by far that we've ever put out there, $3 billion in terms of economic incentives. But the beauty is, unlike what the cynics are saying, it's tied to performance. Half of that billion and a half is tied directly to the 13,000 jobs. So if there's something less than that, then the incentive is less than that. It prorates. It fluctuates up or down depending on how high they are. I, I, I'm optimistic they're going to be even higher, but, but it won't, they don't get that billion and a half unless the 13,000 jobs is created by the time they scale up. And then the capital investment, the, the other half of that, uh, $1.35 billion is based on the $10 billion investment, so the capital investment they're making to build this campus, this ecosystem in southeastern Wisconsin. And then the final $150 million of that is a sales tax exemption for the products, for the construction products they're used to build it, which is the easiest for us because we, that's not out there. That's not money we have. That's, that's money that they would otherwise have to pay on that. It's exactly what we did with the new arena. It's a great way to provide an incentive to get things going. But not just for these jobs, but as you mentioned, Paul Ryan said, this is big enough just to do it for the 13,000 jobs. You add the 10,000 jobs of people all around the state who are going to have to be hired to do this construction work. You add the 22,000 indirect and induced jobs out there. But I think it's even bigger than that. What we're really investing is the kind of transformational change that we'll look back at 10, 20 years from now and say, Boy, that, that, that was the game changer. That changed everything. That brought more talent. That brought more attraction. That brought more business. That brought better wages. Those are the things that are all tied into this. And so 
for any lawmaker, Republican and Democrat alike, who says those are things you want, if you want to play in the big leagues, you got to play in the big leagues, and that's exactly what we're doing. Governor, let's let's talk a little bit about the type of jobs. That's been always that's been one of the criticisms as well. Well, who, who knows what these are going to be? Are these going to be family sustaining jobs? I mean, actually, these look like they're pretty darn good jobs that are going to be coming to Wisconsin. Yeah, the average annual uh, salary for these jobs is fifty three thousand eight hundred seventy five thousand eight hundred seventy five dollars. So over fifty three thousand dollars a year plus benefits. Uh, and, and this is a combination from skilled workers to engineers. I mean, one of the things that I think also uh, appealed to Foxconn was our commitment and, and our team effort. We had at one of our stops in Milwaukee the chancellor of the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. When we were in Madison over here at the residence, we had the chancellor of the University of Wisconsin-Madison. We've had uh, the head of Gateway Technical College and others involved with our technical college system uh, working with Foxconn on our team because for something of this magnitude, we're gonna we're gonna quite literally have to put in place programs to start training people now for jobs that'll be open over the next couple of years because this is we're gonna start construction within this next year. Uh, the target and they hit their targets is to be operational by 2020. We need now within our higher education systems and our technical colleges and our apprenticeship programs and our University of Wisconsin system, we're going to start doing programs specifically targeted towards uh, getting the, the workforce they're going to need. And the exciting thing is, much, much like we see on a somewhat smaller scale, but, but similarly concept, uh, you look at Epic in the Madison area, that has been transformational not only for Verona but for Madison. This will do this and, and more, I think, for southeastern Wisconsin. And really, you're talking 150 suppliers and all the other things, probably for businesses and people all across the state. Governor, I, I know you just mentioned it, but I was going to ask you the timeline. Um, if all goes as planned, groundbreaking within a year? Yeah. Uh, the, their goal is 2018, break ground, uh, 2020, if everything goes right, to uh, to cut a ribbon and, and get this thing up and going. And obviously... In terms of employment, that's going to start almost immediately because there are people coming in in force. We've seen it even the last few months, how many people come in. Uh, they've got their, their plans drawn out for a couple of different sites in southeastern Wisconsin. They're ready to go. Uh, we couldn't be more – and it's a great team. They, they, are, they are so – when I went overseas to see their operations, they are so enthused with their technology. Certainly we think about it in the entertainment world uh, with their screens and what it can do there, which is remarkable. You think about – uh, this 8K technology and, and how pinpoint it can be on things. But then you add into that what it can mean for healthcare, what it can mean for the automobile industry, for aviation, for so many other applications. I mean, this can be transformational uh, just even in the world of healthcare. It's why partners like G Healthcare and Rockwell Animation were all part of our meetings. And even some cool stuff that we think will ultimately be in the new arena uh, with a partnership with the Milwaukee Bucks. Plenty of exciting things happening here. Governor Walker, I think yesterday was a great day for the state of Wisconsin, and uh, congratulations. And I appreciate you joining us this morning. Take care. My pleasure. Thanks. Absolutely. Um, All right. Big story number one, Foxconn. The governor speaks. We'll be back with big story number two. It is related in just a minute. It's 846. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ.
850, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Would you like to end that annoying co-worker's bad habit once and for all? Or how about that rush hour pet peeves? Cafeti and Bill Stett want to hear from you during their Ought to Be a Law segment. Check that out. Um, abbreviated show for me today. We've got an early Brewers game, really early, out in Washington. It starts at 1030. Coming up about 10.08, um, we are going to be talking to the first announced that is declared Republican candidate to run against Tammy Baldwin in 2018. His name is Kevin Nicholson. He's going to be joining me, like I say, about 10.08. There will be other candidates. I anticipate an extremely competitive Republican primary, um, but Kevin Nicholson announced yesterday. I want to give him a chance to introduce himself to you. He'll be on with me at 10.08 uh, this morning. All right. You heard from the governor. Obviously, that was big story number one. Big story number two. Believe it or not, there are people who have decided to put politics, in my opinion, ahead of the interests of the state of Wisconsin and essentially try to throw cold water on this Foxconn announcement. Now, you heard from the governor. There's going to be um, potentially 13,000 jobs. For everybody who is out there saying, well, we don't know, if are these going to be minimum wage jobs? No, I mean, the average job is going to be $53,000 a year plus benefits on top of that. Those are pretty good jobs. In addition, there's going to be all sorts of construction jobs that are generated as far as building the facilities. And I think what everybody expects, that once this facility gets built, there's going to be a spillover effect. You are going to have suppliers, for example, or, or other companies that make component parts that go to Foxconn to be a st- to be put into the the things that they're making. You know, you're going to need those plants and those businesses are going to set up here. Plus, of course, you're going to have the, the huge influx of people with knowledge of technology who are going to be coming out of schools. I mean, they, they talk about this as potentially being a game changer. And one of the things that I thought that the governor said that was extremely, extremely interesting was the fact that yes. There is a big incentive package that is out there over the course of a couple decades. The legislature will be meeting in special session to decide and disagree on it in the next month or so. But the governor said, look, this is tied into performance. So um, the incentives are less if the jobs are less. So it's a true partnership. Now, for years and years and years, we have been hearing from politicians on both sides of the aisle that we need economic development in Wisconsin. We need good family-sustaining jobs. So you have this announcement yesterday. And it was interesting, you know, the people that were at the White House, you know, for this announcement. It it wasn't just some of the politicians. But um, you look at some of the folks that were there. You know, Julia Taylor, the president of the Greater Milwaukee Committee. I mean, she was one of the biggest cheerleaders for this. In Washington, you had... Uh, Peter Fagan, who's the president of the Bucks. You've had local manufacturing executives like from Rockwell Automation, Briggs and Stratton. Um, you know, all those people were there saying, "Okay, this is the greatest thing uh, in the world. This is super. It is a game changer." Well, the opinion was not unanimous. U.S. Congresswoman Gwen Moore, and candidly, you know, if you want to talk about a congresswoman that represents a district that needs a shot in the arm. You know, unemployment, pretty darn good in the state of Wisconsin, except if you look at, for example, pockets in Gwen Moore's district. Uh, Gwen Moore declined to attend the announcement. She declined to attend the announcement, said she was approaching the news with cautious optimism. 
What the hell does that mean? Cautious optimism. Gwen Moore, of all people, should be one of the people who is on this train cheerleading to get this to happen because it could benefit her constituents the most, but she's approaching it with cautious optimism. It gets worse. State Senate Minority Leader Jennifer Schilling. I am cautious of committing taxpayers to decades of economic costs and liabilities. The bottom line is this company has a concerning track record of big announcements with little follow-through. Given the lack of details, I'm skeptical about this announcement, and we will have to see if there is a legislative appetite for a $1 to $3 billion corporate welfare package. All right, here is somebody, you know, Democrats for years have been saying we need family sustaining jobs. We need good jobs. And so the Senate minority leader, and this is why the Democrats are in the minority in the state Senate, and she's like, well, I don't know. This is corporate welfare. The truth of the matter is it's because Scott Walker and other people put this together. She decides that she's going to put, in my opinion, her partisan political issue interest ahead of, again, the state of Wisconsin. It gets worse. State Senator Chris Larson, who's kind of sort of tried to fail upward over and over again, questioned in a statement whether the deal would be in the best interest of the state. This is what Larson says. Wisconsin leaders should not commit to corporate welfare or anything that carves out special exceptions in our laws if it will unfairly hurt local businesses already in our state. What the hell is he talking about? I mean, this is there's not even a company in the country that does what this company is going to do. And you're going to have local businesses that are going to be providing. Theoretically, they're going to be providing support for this business. You're going to have construction projects to build all this stuff. And Larson says, well, if it's going to hurt local businesses already in our state, too many people in our state are struggling in low wage jobs and living in fear that any day the security of health care could be pulled out from under them. They deserve leaders who will be looking out for their future. We demand fairness, and that's what we're looking for in this deal. Well, okay, they demand leaders that want to get something done, and clearly that's not what you're getting from some of the Democrats. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's open up the phone lines. Uh, I, I just The way I've looked at this is if we turned on, if you turned on the radio this morning or turned on the TV or picked up a newspaper or went to the Internet and we saw the story saying Foxconn was building this plant in Detroit, there would be high depression all throughout the area. Even though you have people describing this as a game changer, you have some people who are deciding to be wet blankets. So let's just tee this up. Is this a good deal for the state? Is this the game changer that the governor and Paul Ryan and so many business leaders describe? Or is this corporate welfare we just want to trudge along. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. That's where we pick up when we come back. It's 857. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 909. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, the huge announcement is Foxconn. We're right in the middle of our three big things. Big story number two, there are some people who, because of their blind hatred of Scott Walker, or anything that Republicans would do, they are willing to sit there and throw a wet blanket on this. Gwen Moore, whose district, she represents one of, at least in pockets, one of the areas of highest unemployment in the country in certain pockets, rather than embrace this as perhaps a game changer that could help her constituents, she decides not to attend the announcement yesterday, says, well, she's cautiously optimistic. 
I, I don't know what that means. Gwen Moore, of all people, if she really cared about the people she represents, should be jumping up and down, trying to do everything she can to make this happen because it would benefit her constituents. Then it gets even more bizarre. Jennifer Schilling, who's the Senate Minority Leader from La Crosse, um, demonstrating a cluelessness that is beyond capability. She's cautious of committing taxpayer dollars to decades of economic costs and liability. I'm skeptical about this announcement, and we'll have to see if there is legislative appetite for a corporate welfare package. Oh, give me a break. And then local state senator Chris Larson, who is Wisconsin's answer to the question, why should you drug test politicians? He comes out with a statement saying, I don't know that this is the best interest of the state. Wisconsin leaders should not commit to corporate welfare or anything that carves out special exceptions in our laws if it will unfairly hurt local businesses already in our state. What local businesses is this guy talking about? What was he smoking? I mean, seriously, is the guy high when he puts out a statement like this? This is going to be the first plant of its kind that will build, the only plant that will build these type of things in the United States. Local businesses, local businesses will thrive if this comes to play. But yet, that's the type of thing you get from some of the backbenchers on the other side. Okay, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this a game changer or is it corporate welfare? Let's start with Sherry in Manitowoc. You're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. You know, you have to look at both sides of the coin for everything. And there's so many people looking at this whole situation. You're going to have people that are going to downplay it, which is the other party, which is too bad because... You know, this, everyone should come together for this. However, this is going to expand so far beyond just the technology sector. You have housing. You're going to need more housing, right. food and service industry. It's going to trickle down to jobs. It's a gas station. So I don't understand how this is you know, right. it's not taking money from anyone because right now, you know, there's no, there's right. no investment in the state for big business. Right. Nothing's coming to the state. People are leaving. Do they understand that? Right. The industries have been leaving. Right, and, and think of you know, one of the other things, Sherry, that's going on is I see. I think this is way beyond Foxconn because Foxconn is this huge manufacturer. Well, well what about the people, the businesses that make the component parts that that they use? What well, only makes sense to me that they're going to be locating close to where the facility is because <laughs> so so instead of transporting stuff halfway around the world, you, you build another plant in Pleasant Prairie or wherever wherever. Well, exactly, and you know, here's the thing. The jobs need to come back to the state. Technology has to improve. It's going to improve everything from the school system, how they're looking at teaching students, what they're teaching students. It's going to advance everything. And people have to start thinking outside the box. Yeah, well, exactly. Thanks, Scott. I mean, the argument I heard originally was, okay, well, how do we know what kind of jobs are these going to be? And, you know, look look at the way they operate in China. Well, okay, China is different than the U.S. And, I mean, they're saying that the average job is going to be fifty three grand a year plus benefits. Now, I don't know. Show me another opportunity where, you know, you have, you have somebody, a company that's willing to come in and – and build facilities that ultimately might have as many as thirteen thousand jobs that are paying on average over fifty grand a year plus benefits. I mean, really, we're going to turn up our nose at that? Gwen Moore is cautiously optimistic. Well, I, I'd hate to see what it would take to get her to be genuinely excited. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to um, Jason in Muskego. Jason, you're in six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Morning, Jeff. What do you think? 
I I think that uh, Gwen Moore must be optimistic because uh, majority of her uh, people are receiving government assistance, and why why work when you're getting it off the dole? Well, I mean, th- this is an idea. I mean, I mean, thanks. For, I mean, this is look see, here. This is an opportunity. Let I, we don't know exactly where we're going to locate it. The speculation is that it's going to be uh, again along I ninety four in either in probably in Racine County. But all right. But it, but it's close to Milwaukee. I mean, now I understand that there's going to be a bit of a training gap, and you've got a lot of people who might not initially be qualified. So I, I don't know what's going to happen today or tomorrow. But but I do know that if you build a facility like this, and the estimates are the groundbreaking is going to be in a year, the place is going to be operational within the next what was he saying three years or so. I mean, this is an opportunity. This is something that says to the people in Gwen Moore's district and Paul Ryan's district and Jim. Brenner's district and all throughout the state of Wisconsin that this is an opportunity. This is a major, major, major international manufacturer who is locating here. Um, these aren't fast food type of jobs. These aren't retail jobs. You know, these are jobs that potentially have have a future to them. And cautious optimism, corporate welfare. I mean, Syria hurt the businesses in the state. What what are I, that? That is you read some of these statements and the only conclusion you can draw is some of these people are high. All right. We continue the conversation there. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's nine fifteen. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 917, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Some breakfast baseball for you today as the Brewers close out their marathon road trip with the finale in Washington. Jeff and Lane begin our coverage at 1030 this morning here on WTMJ, sponsored by Delta Dental. Ray in Glen Ellen. Ray, good morning. Good morning, Jeff. How are you? I am well, thank you. I'm excited. As somebody who cares about this state, yeah, I'm excited. You know as well as I do. If we woke up this morning and Michigan or Pennsylvania or even my state, Illinois, had these jobs, these people would be blasting Scott Walker. You know they would. Oh, and, oh right, right, you're right. If, if we had, if today we had woken, awakened, and the, and the story had been Detroit gets this plant, all the usual suspects. This is another example of the failure of the yep. Walker administration. You are exactly right. You know, Jeff, and, and I live in Illinois. We used to be a top candidate for companies like this. They don't come here anymore because our state's run by a bunch of do-nothing Democrats, and the, and the Democrats maybe ought to look at why they're not in power up there because of statements like this. Yeah, exactly. No, thank, that, you know, thank, Ray, that is, that is, look, this does not happen. Look, the, the Foxconn does not come here unless you have a series of the reforms that have been put in place over the last several years and the aggressive marketing that's been going on and the aggressive leadership that's been coming out of Madison. And I understand that there are some people out there who are so caught up in Walker derangement syndrome that they just can't acknowledge that this has the potential to be a good thing. I mean, honest to goodness, corporate welfare, All right. Well, you have to put together packages to get people there. One of the things I thought was interesting when I interviewed the governor about an hour ago is he said, look, the package that we are going to advance is going to be tied to the Foxconn delivering on its promises. We're not going to buy, this is my words, a pig and a poke. You know, the incentives increase as Foxconn goes ahead and delivers and does does these types of things. But if this, in fact, happens, it's a game changer, and you would think that people should be – applauding this here is something that could completely and totally revitalize 
the state of Wisconsin. And will there be some spill-off benefits for guys like Ray and Glenn Ellen? Well, yeah, look, I understand that maybe some of the people that are going to go to work at Foxconn are going to live in northern Illinois. All right, I, I appreciate that. So what? So what? Having this type of facility and all the other attendant stuff located in southeastern Wisconsin is a huge, huge thing. Let's talk to, uh, let's see, Justin in Janesville. You're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. How are you doing today? I'm, I'm excited. I think as somebody who cares about this state, I think this is genuinely transformative. You know, I agree. I'm, and, and this is coming from a guy myself. You know, I, I'm a political moderate. I'm pretty much straight down the middle. I've, I've been lukewarm on Scott Walker. I've, I've never really thought he's been super-duper great, but I've never thought he's been, you know, just right. not awful either. But, you know, people talk about, you know, oh, my goodness, we're, we're going to put taxpayer money towards this, and this is corporate welfare, and yada, yada. You know, I don't. I don't like to think of it as corporate welfare. I think th- this is business we're talking about. It's competition. Competition yeah. is everything in business. We are we are competing, like you said, with Illinois, with Michigan, and uh, you know what? Our, our state government stepped up to the plate. And you look you look back in the in the recent past year, back into say 2008, the start of the Great Recession, and it's been nothing but you know the the big news stories regarding jobs have all been about loss. Yeah, there's been right. job creation a little here, a little there, but. You know, the, the big one, the, the beating that the paper industry took, or right. GM, or more recently, Oscar Mayer. And because our state decided to step up and compete, and compete well, and put together this package, we have a huge story, a huge story regarding jobs, and a yeah. positive light coming to this state that we've been desperately needing. Yeah, exactly. And and for everybody who says corporate welfare, like you say, that, that that is the name of the game now. I could give you countless examples of companies that have located in different states, whether it's Nevada, regardless. And, and you have to bid. You have to put together packages. That's just the way it is right now. And I'll, I'll tell you something. I mean, look, I, I, was, I, was, a fa- I was in favor of, of the $250 million public commitment to build the new downtown arena. I, I, I was. But if you want to look at... I mean, impact, I have to tell you, I'm not sure that that's really going to generate jobs. I I think it's going to be good for the community. But if you want to compare that with what this Foxconn deal is, it's not even close as far as potential economic development and what this can mean for the state moving forward. Well, I think it definitely puts us on the map. I mean, you know, I can can relate everything in my life to Wisconsin sports in some fashion. To me, this could be, this could wind up being like the 93 uh, free agent signing of Reggie White. It puts yeah. the Packers back on the map. Free agents everywhere now see this. Hey, the best player in the NFL just went to Green Bay. Maybe we should give it a look. Yeah. I, it, I think it's the same thing. That this, this company decided for, you know, many, many reasons that we're going to invest $13 billion in the state of Wisconsin and hire Wisconsin workers. You know, you don't think other Fortune 500 companies are looking at that. And, hey, we want to locate somewhere in the United States. Yeah. You better at least give Wisconsin a fair shake here because apparently they're doing something right. I, you know, I, I, you know, I, I Justin, I, I love your, I love your Reggie White free agent signing analogy. And, and for people who would say, well, you shouldn't spend money. All right, let me remember the example: Mercury Marine and Fond du Lac. All right, Mercury Marine was prepared to pick up, get rid of all those jobs, and move out of state. There was a package that was put together to keep Mercury Marine here, and now it is a success story. You know, would we have been better off if we let, you know, Mercury Marine leave? Well, tell that to all the people who are still working up in that community. Tony in Milwaukee. Tony, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Uh, good morning. I, I got a couple of uh, points to make. Number one, um, I work for a, a, a very large corporation, uh, Snap-on Tools in Milwaukee. Uh-huh. 
great great place uh, 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 you know to work. That's 300 jobs. We have 300 people on all three shifts. That's a little perspective. We're we're looking at a lot of jobs here. Yep. Not only that, we're also going to make competition now. Now other companies are going to have to compete with Foxconn to get employees. Yep. Now what is that going to do? That's going to raise wages. That's going to raise benefits. This is going to be a great thing across the board for this state, for this that community, and for this country. And I think this can bring more uh, business back to Wisconsin. Yeah. And the United States. I, right. I'm, I'm excited. I think this is a, a great thing. Yeah, you raise an interesting point as well. You're, you're right. I mean, my guess is a lot of the jobs that initially are going to be filled by Foxconn are going to come from people who maybe are working at other places in the community. You know, they're going to leave because they think they've got a better opportunity at Foxconn. That means that's going to be a trickle-down effect. For the people that leave certain jobs, those employers are going to have to replace them. And, and in general, I mean, think of what, now what this draw is going to be. You've got all the technical colleges you know, gearing up. They're saying, okay, we, we've now got these jobs in this area. Kids go where the jobs are. We've got to gear up to try to produce people who can do these type of jobs. I just, I mean, I just think it's a huge, huge, huge win. Now, maybe 15 years from now, we'll look back and, and it turns out not to be that case. But I'm sure not willing to look at that right now. Today, I think it's a great day for the state of Wisconsin. I completely agree, and, I, and I'm excited for uh, the future of the state. Uh, thanks for the call. Let's talk to David in Mequon. You're at 620 WTMJ. Uh, good morning, John. Hi, David. I, I just wanted to say a couple things. I give you an idea how big this is, uh, the plant. Um, not as we put us on a national stage, but it's the size of, like, three pentagons. Or if you want to compare it to, they were saying, like, locally. Right. Uh, the Northwestern Mutual Tower is about a million square feet. Right. That's like building twenty Northwestern mutual towers. <laughs> wow. I mean I mean it's just because it's about twenty million square feet of I guess with the right. size of your plant. And and to put it in football terms, we use the Reggie White analogy, but to compare that, it's the size of eleven Lambeau fields. Yep. That's how big this thing is. But that being the case, another thing that should be mentioned is that uh they're gonna be buying roughly over four Point two five billion dollars worth of material a year, mm-hmm. and they said that you know a good chunk of that is going to come from Wisconsin. So sure. that that might be anywhere from mining to uh, where you have you know obviously you got to get some minerals out of the ground to you know where you end up having um, you know an airport that's going to be a lot busier. Yep. To, Everything, it's just, it's just a tremendous benefit. Housing, grocery stores, restaurants, retail, all that type of stuff to service the people that are going to be working at this giant facility. Yeah, no question. It's, and the other thing is this, is that you know that if Foxconn is going to build there, that you're going to end up having other companies. They're going to want to be close to that as well. No. So there will be definitely a ripple effect with that, too. Right. Thanks for the call. I mean, cautiously optimistic. Honest to goodness. Now, I, I understand stuff can always go wrong. And, yes, I, I am aware that there's a story that Foxconn said they were going to do something in Pennsylvania, and that never happened. I, I just I think that's apples and oranges. I think 
you know, with these announcements, it's kind of locked in. I, I guess, you know, maybe everybody will eat crow two years from now. But you know what? I'm not going to be the guy that throws the wet blanket on what I think could be a game changer. I understand it's becoming a cliche um, for southeastern Wisconsin. Our, our text line has exploded. Let's see. Guess what? I live in Oak Creek and work in northern Illinois. Um, so what? It's not corporate welfare. It's an investment in our future. Um See another text. The arrival of Foxconn will mean other businesses will need to support it. Hotels, restaurants, etc. Not to mention the construction jobs. It's a win-win all the way around. Um, let's see. Dan writes, what word do Democrats always use? Invest. We have to invest in things. This is a chance to do just what they always talk about. Except in this case, it's actually investing, not spending money on government projects. Absolutely. Wisconsin Take a victory lap. Don't let those people who are cautiously optimistic, who who are worried whether there's an appetite for providing incentives to get this business to come here, don't let those naysayers, don't let those backbenchers, don't let those losers kill what is a great, great day. It's 928. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 9.35, Jeff Wagner, 6.20 WTMJ as the Packers kick off training camp today. Are they Super Bowl material? By the way, um, Greg Matzik, he's in Green Bay. Um, we're going to have lots of Packers training camp coverage over the course of the next couple weeks. Wayne Larrabee and Pro Football Weekly's Hub Arkish dissect the league and where the Packers stack up this year. It's all in Wayne's latest episode of the Play-by-Play podcast, up now on WTMJ.com and on the WTMJ mobile app. Be sure to check that out while you're on the podcast page. I know a lot of people do this. You can download podcasts of this show. We podcast every single one of them, and if you don't get to hear the whole thing you get to listen to it at your convenience so feel free to do that hey coming up in about a half hour we will be talking to kevin nicholson he is the first officially declared republican challenger to tammy baldwin for her senate seat when she is up for re-election in november of 2018 there will be other republican candidates getting in i guarantee it and we'll talk to all of them but uh, kevin nicholson is going to join me um, right after the 10 o'clock news, we'll talk about why he thinks he has the right stuff, as it was, to um, defeat Tammy Baldwin. So stick around for that. All right. Big story number three. Tragedy at the Ohio State Fair. If you haven't if you haven't seen this story, um, the Ohio State Fair is is going on right now. It's in Columbus, Ohio. Um, last night, around 720, um, a... This fireball ride that was on the midway at the Ohio State Fair malfunctioned. One person is dead. Seven others were injured. Um, fireball, uh, it's, I guess, the. I mean, I, I can picture it. It's, it, it's, it's described as an aggressive ride um, that swings riders 40 feet above the midway. It's one of those things where you get in the cars, and it's got these big, long arms, and then they... They raise you 40 feet in the air, and then it spins you around 13 revolutions per minute. Um, It's been around since 2002, so this is not some new sort of thing. What apparently happened is the ride malfunctioned, and people were thrown at high speeds into the air. 
So um, the man who died in the accident was found 50 feet from the attraction. So what you have is you have, you know, I mean, this thing is just like spinning around and it breaks. People are thrown all over and, and people are, in fact, injured. One is dead. The rides have been shut down. Now, here's the scary, the scariest thing about this. Um, this was the opening day on the fair. This ride was inspected multiple times, including by a third-party inspector, um, they, they were told. Um, so the ride, uh, apparently people looked at it. The ride passed all the inspections, so everybody thought it was safe. And now you've got one person dead and several other people injured. The midway has been shut down temporarily. Um, and there is a YouTube video of this thing coming crashing down a- as well. To me, again, the scariest thing, documents shared by the state show that the ride passed structural and electrical checks on Wednesday. The particular ride also passed inspector inspections at a fair in New Jersey where it was checked from June 22nd to July 9th. The latest repair was to a cylinder or on a seat on May 15th. Uh, the front tailor was re- trailer was replaced on May 6th. So th- this ride passed all the inspections and yet it ended up malfunctioning. Now, I have to confess, I've told this story before. Um, there's no question, if you meet my brother, there's no question that we are, we are in fact, brothers. And we share the same tastes in, in lots and lots of things. And sorry for saying this, Scott, but we're very much alike. The one thing, one of the things that we differ on is somewhere along the line, my brother got the roller coaster slash festival ride gene in our family i did not my brother is the guy that you go down to universal you go down to disney and he's the one trying to find the most extreme rides here let's jump on the incredible hulk ride and it's zero to 60 in three seconds and you're upside down and i'm like no (laughs) i'll hold your glasses here you you go and you have fun and his kids got the roller coaster gene as well but but you know he likes to do it i don't like to me to me, there is no way that I would go to a midway and get on a ride like this. Now, the Tilt-A-Whirls or something like that, you know, maybe. But, you know, these different rides or the giant roller coasters, I don't get that. And I, I wouldn't do it in the first place. So I hear these stories, though. And I guess the question I always have is, you know, is this is this just something that happens in other words, you know, you can have your car, you know, you, you could take it into the mechanic, you can have it inspected, and then all of a sudden a, a belt breaks, you know, an hour after you drive away. It just means that that belt just kind of broke. Stuff goes on. Um, 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The Midway at the Ohio State Fair is now shut down. Does a story like this raise questions about the safety of of the various rides that you see on the midways at whether it's state fairs or whether it's church festivals, does this make you more reluctant to ride on them, or do you view this as just this freak accident that could happen anytime, anywhere? 414-799-1620. I'll tell you where I come down on this, but I'm curious, especially for those of you who going to the church festivals, going to the state fair, where the midways are a big part of... The, the attraction, and I know there's a lot of you out there. I mean, does this make you perhaps think twice before getting on some of these rides? 942, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. If you're on the line, please hold on.
946, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. What impact can a business as massive as Foxconn have on small businesses around the area and the state? U.S. Administrator of Small Business, Linda McMahon. You know, she's a uh, wife of Vince McMahon. They, she and Vince run the used to before she took over this position. They were the uh, joint owners of the World Wrestling, WWE, formerly WWF. Anyways, Linda McMahon joins John McCure with the answer. 420 this afternoon during Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Be sure to tune in. Big thing number three, uh, State Fair starts in a week. The, the There was a tragedy last night. The Ohio State Fair, one of the, these rides that you find on the grounds, this one's Fireball. It's where there's big, long tentacles, and you get in the little boot, the cars, and it lifts you up like 40 feet over the ground, and then it spins around. Um, it failed. What happened was people were thrown when the thing kind of collapsed. One person is dead, found 50 feet away from the, um, the thing. Um, a number of other people have been injured. What is the most, to me, troubling aspect of the story is that the thing had been inspected apparently that day, and it had passed the inspections. Now, I understand that stuff can happen. And see, this is easy for me to talk about because I'm not a ride guy. I mean, if I if I go down to the, the midway at the state fair, it's only because my nephew, you know, wants to go down there or, or whatever. So because he likes to go on the rides. But I mean, so I wouldn't be going on any of these rides anyways. But it doesn't matter whether it's a state fair, whether it's the Wisconsin State Fair or the Iowa State Fair or the Ohio State Fair or, you know, Disney World. I, I'm not. I don't go on these kind of thrill rides. I don't go on the rides that spin you around and make you throw up. It's that's just I'm not that's not my thing. So I wouldn't go on that kind of stuff anyways. But I will tell you. I mean, and this is I mean, this is the challenge that I, that I think is out there and I'm sure it's a challenge for my dear friend Kathleen O'Leary a week from the, the state fair. I think what we need to hear and we need to hear right away is what happened here and how could a ride that has been inspected over and over again including like yesterday morning how could that suddenly fail what goes into these inspections how thorough are the inspections and what happened here and i think that's i mean candidly for the entire amusement industry, that to me is is the operative question. Like I say, I'm not unreasonable. I understand that sometimes stuff can happen. You take the car in, you know, the mechanic looks it over, you get your checkup, then you drive away, and a, and a day later a fan belt breaks or something like that. It was fine. It's just something ends up happening. I get that that type of stuff can in fact go on, but at the same time, you know, was this something that someone should have caught? Um, how thorough was the inspection? Who did it? And why did it end up, you know, failing? Um, it's just, you know, a, a weird, weird sort of thing. And I think that's what they need to figure out. Now, like I say, as for me, I'm not jumping on the ride. But if people want to feel safe, and particularly before you're going to let your kids go on these various rides, that's what you need to do. You need to know, okay, what is the inspection process, and how can we be sure that it is, in fact, safe? Um, hopefully, hopefully those questions will be answered, and they'll be answered before the Wisconsin State Fair starts a week from today. By the way, a number of people are calling or asking, um, even though we're running some promos, are you doing Cream Puff Apalooza? Uh, and the answer is yes. Um, I did this for several years. The day before the fair, we go out and we give out cream puffs. And I know I can remember, boy, I can remember driving into the state fair parking lot 
at, at zero dark 30 and seeing hundreds of cars just lined up. Um, we are doing it. First 300 people on starting at 6 a.m. on Wednesday get a six-pack of cream puffs. 300 six-packs of cream puffs. I'm not doing it this year because, um, well, I'm, I have to be here at 8.30, but uh, Scafidi and Billstad are going to be out there. So um, we are doing it. Uh, first 300 people get a six-pack of cream puffs. Cream Puffapalooza lives again. Coming up next, President Trump is apparently considering doing something which would be about as bad an idea as possible. And I understand that the Trump administration has approached some certain things in some really bad ways. This would be a Lollapalooza. I'll tell you all about it. Stick around. It's 950. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 953. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we'll be talking to the first formally declared candidate to uh, challenge Tammy Baldwin for the U.S. Senate seat. Stick around. All right. Do you know what a... BD, who is now producing the show, do you know what a recess appointment is? No, you do not. Okay, a lot of people don't. Maybe they've heard the term. All right, the the way it works is that there are a number of positions in government that need, the president nominates the person, but they need to be confirmed by the Senate. So what happens when the Senate is in recess? What happens when the Senate is on a break? Does that mean that the, the job can't be filled? So there is a provision in the law which says that when the Senate is in a long recess, a a long recess being something that is more than a week, what a president can do is they can make a recess appointment. They can nominate somebody who then serves in an interim capacity, but they serve until, well, in this case, it would be until that the current Congress ends, which would be at the end of 2018. So if President Trump were to make a recess appointment now, put somebody in a particular job, that person could serve in that job. They wouldn't be officially confirmed, but they could serve in that job until essentially December of 2018. That would be a recess appointment. This is something that is not done um, very often at all because it's extremely controversial. It's a way of getting around the Senate's advise and consent um, responsibilities in the U.S. Constitution. Okay, so why are we talking about recess appointments? Apparently, there is speculation, fueled in part by President Trump, that President Trump is either going to fire the Attorney General, Jeff Sessions, or try to force him to resign. Now, one of the questions that we've asked when we discuss this is, okay, what's the end game? Trump is frustrated. He, he'd like to see Sessions out. What would be the strategy? And the way some people are speculating is it works like this. Sessions recused himself because he was part of the Trump campaign. So the Trump campaign is being investigated for ties with Russia. He recused himself, which ultimately led to the appointment of the special counsel, Robert Mueller, this appointment that's driving President Trump crazy. So the thinking would be, if Sessions leaves, Trump appoints a new attorney general. That attorney general wasn't part of the campaign, doesn't have a conflict. So that attorney general comes in, fires Robert Mueller, the special counsel, and then conducts the investigation himself. And the thinking apparently in the Trump camp is they'd rather have 
the attorney general who Trump appointed conducting the investigation of the Trump campaign as opposed to the special counsel. That's that's the thinking of this. Well, the practical problem with that, aside from being incredibly bad policy and throwing this country into a constitutional crisis, is how do you get somebody confirmed? Because if Sessions is gone, the next person you nominate goes in front of the Senate, and the first question both Republicans and the Democrats are going to ask is, will you fire Robert Mueller? And if the person says yes, I guarantee you they'll never be confirmed. Hence the recess appointment. The the theory is Trump fires or causes Sessions to resign, forces him out. He makes a he waits till the Senate is on its summer break. He appoints recess appointment one of his people to be the attorney general. The person doesn't go before the Senate, is only going to serve in that interim capacity till the end of next year, but doesn't have to get confirmed, and then goes and, and essentially stooges out for the president and fires Mueller, and then we're off to the races. That's this theory. As a matter of fact, there's a story in the Washington Post um, and that, that kind of outlines this thing. Apparently, some of the Trump people are actively starting to talk about this. I cannot tell you what a bad idea this would be on so many levels. If the president were to try to orchestrate something like this, with the idea being he wants to put, well, somebody that he has under his thumb in the position of attorney general so he can dictate the nature of the criminal investigations. Here he's mad at Sessions because he's not investigating Hillary Clinton. Here, I'm going to put my own guy in. I'm going to do this in a way to avoid Senate confirmation, and then I'm going to expect him to investigate Hillary Clinton, or I'm going to expect him to kill the investigation into my campaign. This would lead, I I mean, I think this is something that even with Republicans in the House and Senate controlling, I think this is something that could lead to articles of impeachment. At the very least, it would lead to an absolute electoral bloodbath for Republicans in 2018. I mean, if Trump really wants to end the Russia investigation, instead of trying to manipulate the Department of Justice, what he should do is just issue pardons. He has the pardon power. I don't think it extends to himself. Some people disagree. I don't think it extends to himself. But if he really wants to end this Russia investigation, if he really thinks it's a witch hunt, stop trying to monkey around with the Department of Justice. Simply issue pardons. Say anybody involved with the campaign, you know, period, anybody involved in this investigation, boom, you are pardoned. And then it ends the thing. Um, This recess appointment of a new attorney general, it is about as staggeringly a bad idea as you can imagine. Does that mean the president won't do it? No. I'm just telling you, it's a bad idea. It's 9.59. In just a couple minutes, we're going to be joined by the first announced Republican challenger to Tammy Baldwin. Stick around. 10.08, Jeff Wagner, 6.20, WTMJ. 2018 is going to be a very, very interesting electoral year nationwide and certainly in Wisconsin. Um, We're going to have a state Supreme Court justice bid up for grabs. There'll be conservatives running. There'll be liberals trying to take it back. Governor Walker is up for re-election. Presumably he will be announcing as soon as the budget gets done that he's running for a third term. And 
Tammy Baldwin, one of the most liberal members of the United States Senate, will be up for re-election. It's going to be an interesting dynamic. My guess is that there will be a number of Republican challengers. But yesterday, the race essentially got kick-started. There's been a lot of names that have been floated around. But yesterday, Delafield businessman Kevin Nicholson announced that he was officially running. And we are joined now by Kevin Nicholson. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Okay, for people who don't know who you are, t- tell everybody a little bit about your background. Sure. No, happy to. Um, so I was born and, uh, and raised mostly in southeastern Wisconsin in the Milwaukee area. Um, you know, from there, my, my journey kind of took me to the University of Minnesota for college, and uh, we'll talk about this, I think, in a moment. But on to uh, a brief stint as uh, national president of the College Democrats of America. Um, when I was younger, uh, you know, I, I was raised uh, in a family that was a bit left of center. My grandfather was my greatest political influence, and he was a lifelong FDR Democrat. And, um, you know, that's what I knew of politics when I, when I went to college was our long talks about politics where you told me about the wonders of FDR and complained about Ronald Reagan. So I went out to college with that in mind and uh, immersed myself in it, was quickly, quickly elected as uh, national president, headed off to Washington, and saw a lot of things I didn't like. And the rest of this journey is one of kind of being introduced to reality. And so I went to Washington. I saw a party that was dividing people by the color of their skin, pitting people of different genders against each other, and trying to create strife. And I didn't like it. I also knew that when I told people I was planning to join the Marine Corps, which I eventually did, they looked at me like I was a bit crazy. So... So I left that role knowing that probably wasn't my crowd. I didn't, you know, burn relationships or make a big political statement, but I got on with living my life. I came back to school. I ran the school newspaper for a year, which in Minnesota was about 150 staff and a multimillion-dollar budget. So I learned a little bit about running a business. From there, I headed off to Wyoming where I worked as a cowboy in the middle of nowhere in western <laughs> Wyoming, and nothing will, nothing will toughen you up quite like that. Um, I, 7,000 feet of elevation, you learn a lot about how tough it is to make a buck in agriculture and, and how thin those margins can be. Uh, came on back to school, finished, graduated, got married, uh, joined the Marine Corps in 2004, served until 2009. I fought in Iraq in 2007. I fought in Afghanistan in 2008 and 2009. Uh, I was part of the troop surge in Al-Ambar. And um, yeah, I saw things go from really bad to really good really quickly. And uh, I subsequently saw Barack Obama and Tammy Baldwin throw all that away. And I'll tell you, nowhere was I more furious uh, in, in the course of my life than when I was serving in Iraq as part of the surge, seeing our progress. And then listening to people like Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton and Bill Richardson running around the country back home lying about the progress we had made. So I came back home. I was furious. I uh, remember putting up lawn signs for John McCain right before I went back to Afghanistan, um, voted for him, sat on the, uh, the, uh, the, went to his rally, sat on the stage with him and everything like that, because that was going to be my commander-in-chief when I went back to Afghanistan. And so I did. Served uh, in Afghanistan in 2008 and nine. Saw things, again, go from... Uh, Pretty bad to stabilize a bit. I was down in the south near Kandahar, and I led a counter IED team, basically, and our, our goal was to mitigate the IED threat. Um, similar to Iraq, I saw Barack Obama throw those gains away, and I saw Tammy Baldwin cheerlead that every step of the way. Uh, Barack Obama, as you no doubt remember, Jeff, gave a speech at, the, at West Point in which he announced an uptick in troops and then at the same time laid out the entire plan for a drawdown. And what I always say, and I believe it sincerely, is that was basically a giant intelligence leak which told our enemies exactly what we intended to do and encouraged them to keep killing Americans. Um, and again, this is the kind of foreign policy that Tammy Baldwin believes makes sense. That in addition to putting you know, cash on planes and sending it to state sponsors of terror like Iran. Um, after the Marine Corps, my journey took me to graduate school. I did a joint degree at Harvard and Dartmouth for business and government. Um, 
I'll tell you, great place to learn things, if only because you learn to uh, test the assumptions of world experts and find out they don't mean a whole lot. Um, I was at those schools in the middle of uh, Obamacare's passage, and I had all the experts for those, for, who wrote those laws come to our schools, and I was one of the few students there questioning it, saying, hey, look, you can't, can't create fake markets, mandate coverages, co-opt insurance companies, and, and think you're not going to skyrocket premiums. And sure enough, they didn't have answers, and now today we're still trying to clean up their mess. From there, I went on into industry, and as you mentioned, I've been working in business ever since. We moved back home in 2012. We now have three young children. Um, and I've been working in, uh, as a consultant in companies and industries uh, all across the country and solving, you know, toughest strategic and operational problems that my clients have and helping them out in that. So, so my whole experience has been about solving problems, dealing with the tough issues that have to get resolved. And to my mind, we need somebody who's an outsider. Again, I'm an outsider. I'm a Marine. I'm a businessman. And my whole life has been about having to take care of problems. And that's the kind of perspective that we need in Washington. What do you see as, in a race against Tammy Baldwin, what do you see as perhaps the top two issues that you would base your campaign on? I understand there's a myriad of issues, but give me two. Yeah, well, the, the number one is always going to be opportunity for Wisconsin's families. And, and what I mean by that is that they have access to the kind of jobs that they want to get in order to capitalize on their talents. That's always going to be the case. And to your point, there's a myriad of issues, but they all kind of connect into that thing. We cannot keep spending as a federal government more money than we take in because that accumulates $20 trillion in debt. That will eventually compound to $40 bucks in debt. It won't take that long, by the way. And that's going to start to quash economic opportunities for the people of Wisconsin, and that's not acceptable. Um, in addition, and this is why this is all connected together, if we're not growing our economy consistently, which means low taxation, sensible regulation, we can't have the third highest corporate tax rate in the world and expect that our American companies can compete with others. Um, if we're not growing our economy, we're going we're gonna to double down on the problems we've created with the debt because we're not going to be able to keep up with it in any way, shape, or form. All of this is going to undermine our, our ability to, to keep Americans safe because if we can't pay our bills, we cannot project the kind of strength we need I'm not talking about starting wars. I'm talking about projecting strength and using common sense to keep Americans safe. Kevin, would you, have voted to, would you have voted to repeal Obamacare this week? Oh, absolutely. And here's why. Obamacare has been a disaster for a lot of reasons, and it's basically limited choices and driven up premiums. And <laughs> sure as clockwork, you could have known this was going to happen um, because basically the government co-opted insurance companies and told them what kind of coverage they had to, to give and then basically at what rates. And so... By necessity, that's really actually, by explanation, that's not insurance. That's the government co-opting companies and forcing them to do things. What, what consumers need are greater choices in health care, greater price transparency, greater portability in, in health care dollars, meaning that they should get the same tax incentives that uh, employers do so they can spend their own health care dollars intelligently. And every single study shows the only thing that actually depresses health care prices is greater transparency in pricing and then consumer choice. That is what will actually keep prices in check and give people higher quality health care. And, hey, by the way, I completely agree. People that have preexisting conditions should 100% have access to buying health insurance, and there's ways to do that with conservative uh, principles in mind, like uh, high-risk pools. So there's answers to these questions that don't involve single-payer health care, which is what Tammy Baldwin wants, and she's made it clear. She's on the record. Everyone in Wisconsin should know that Tammy Baldwin's ultimate goal is to get everybody into government-run, single-payer health care, add $32 trillion to the debt, and then subsequently create a system like the federal VA. 
and I'll pull this all together for everybody, but Tammy Baldwin is the person who ignored the death of veterans at the federal VA in Toma. Uh, her and her staff intentionally quashed the reports of whistleblowers, and no one is going to take that message to the people of Wisconsin more forcefully than me to point out the fact that what Tammy Baldwin wants is everybody in single-payer health care so she can ignore all of our complaints when we have problems with it. And that's unacceptable. Kevin Nicholson, um, first announced challenger to Tammy Baldwin. I'm sure we're going to be talking in the future. I appreciate you spending some time with me this morning. Jeff, thanks so much for having me, and I look forward to talking again soon. Absolutely. That's Kevin Nicholson, who is the first announced Republican challenger. Like I say, there will, my guess is, well, by, there's a lot of names th- being thrown around. My guess is that you're going to, uh, by the end of the summer, have three or four people running for the Republican nomination, and we'll give everybody a chance to come on the program and maybe even get a couple debates going. But uh, Kevin Nicholson officially throwing his hat in the ring yesterday. Wanted to give you a chance to uh, hear from him. He's got some direct ideas. And obviously, one of the things, and I think that's why he started out, is um, – some people have ripped him because when he was younger, he was a college, he was a Democrat in college. So that's that's the issue, and I think he's not tiptoeing around it. He's saying, "Yeah, I, I grew up, I grew up a Democratic family. I, I was a Democrat. Yes, I was involved in politics as a Democrat when I was in college. I have had a conversion." So you know, people, I guess, can decide if it's sincere or not. But um, that's one of the issues, and he's taking it on head on. It's ten eighteen. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner, 620 WPMJ, and we will have other Republican candidates on. And actually, at some point in time, I would be delighted to sit down and chat with uh, Democratic Senator Tammy Baldwin as well. We'll see if that happens. Uh, Interesting, on our text line, Dan texts, do you know who he sounds like to me, content and voice? Paul Ryan. Huh. That's, uh, that is high praise. Uh, let's see another one of our texts. Wow, nice to hear answers, not somebody tiptoeing around the issues. I might not agree with all of them, but I know exactly where he stands. Got my vote. Well, all right. Want to hear the other candidates as well when they emerge. And like I say, we will be following this. I think uh, it's going to be a very, very interesting electoral year. It's going to start in April with the Supreme Court elections. There are two very liberal lawyers, one more so than the other, but they're both liberal lawyers running for the Supreme Court spot being vacated by the retirement of Michael Gableman. Um, there will, there's a one conservative announced. There will be other conservatives that announce that they are running as well. So it's going to be interesting to see how that all shakes out. Then, of course, you've got uh, the, the partisan elections that are going to be occurring as well. All sorts of fascinating stuff going on. Going to be very interesting and looking forward to being here to discuss it with you. Okay, we've got Brewers baseball coming up with a couple minutes. I'm back to wrap up the show in just a moment. It's 1022. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It is 1024, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ Brewers baseball coming up in just a couple minutes as the Brewers wind down the road trip from you-know-where. Started off the road trip with four and a half games in first place, and now they're out of first place by a half a game. But the truth is, um, there, there's always tomorrow. And last night was a tough game. I was listening to and watching a good portion of the game. It goes into the eighth inning, and then it kind of just all falls apart with some relief pitchers who crumble and... Uh, I like Craig Council, but I think he grossly overmanaged that inning as well with his pitchers. But, all right, there, there is, of course, 
There is, of course, always today, and you can hear the game coming up in just a couple minutes. Uh, today is going to be an interesting day for a number of reasons. Later on this afternoon, there's going to be the big news conference at the Milwaukee Art Museum where they go into even more details about the Foxconn proposal. The Foxconn proposal. Um, clearly, I think one of the things that people are going to want to see over the course of the next couple weeks is what is the incentive package that emerges and, of course, where precisely is the property going to be. Um, I will tell you what is going to happen. They're fully prepared to use eminent domain. Um, whenever they decide on what the where it is going to be, there's going to be some people who willingly sell, and there's going to be other people who say, well, we don't want to sell our property. Bottom line is they're going to take it all, and the Supreme Court makes it very clear that for a project like this, they are going to be allowed to take it. They're going to have to pay, um, again, fair market value to people. But um, individual property owners, I can tell you, are not going to be allowed to significantly delay this process. Whether you agree with that or not is a different story, but that that's what's going to happen. But the devil is in the details. The other interesting thing today is that today is the deadline that the Fire and Police Commission has given Milwaukee Police Chief Ed Flynn to revise his pursuit policy. Flynn has asked for more time, but Flynn has made it very clear. He is not going to change. Ed Flynn thinks that he is right. Ed Flynn thinks that he knows better than anybody else. And Ed Flynn, I think, is prepared to buck the Fire and Police Commission. The way it works is the Fire and Police Commission, under the law, they tell Ed Flynn what to do. They're the boss. And the only way that doesn't happen is if Tom Barrett decides that he wants to essentially overrule them in writing. That puts Tom Barrett in a very, very tough political trick box because if Barrett decides to decide to side with the police chief against his fire and police commission, against the will of the overwhelming majority of the common council, and I think against the Milwaukee Police Department and against what I think most people in the city recognize as common sense, that is that this police pursuit policy isn't working, puts Barrett in a very, very tricky area for somebody who professes to care about crime and public safety. So it's going to be interesting to see how all this plays out. Um, Ed Flynn, of course, now has hired an attorney because I think it's pretty apparent that he doesn't intend to comply with the Fire and Police Commission directive, and if they then take job action against him, he's prepared to fight it. Well, I mean, I don't know if he gets paid off, but uh, it will end up getting paid off. But as I've argued before, I think it's time for Ed Flynn to go. I think he's kind of overstayed his welcome. And, you know, how they work out his departure, whether he finds another job and leaves or whether he gets paid off, I don't know. But if he refuses this directive... Um, I, I think that's going to ratchet up political tension in the city of Milwaukee to an even higher level. We might have the answer to that by tomorrow, and we'll talk about it all. Okay, I am out of time. We've got Brewers baseball coming up. I am back 8.30 tomorrow morning, and we do this all again. Go Brewers. Enjoy what's going to be a wonderful summer day. Have a great Thursday. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ.